wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson. Welcome to another episode of Bleeding Daylight. Search for Bleeding Daylight on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. When part of your job is helping others overcome their doubts, how do you admit to the doubts that you're experiencing? Should faith mean that we never face questions or doubts? Today's guest is a pastor who has used his own uncertainties to bring greater certainty to others. Steve Hinton has been in full-time Christian ministry for around 25 years. He served as a missionary in Russia, a church planter in California, and a preaching minister for two churches in Indiana and Houston. And with an introduction like that, you'd think that Steve is the kind of guy who has his whole faith thing well and truly sorted. But you may be surprised. Steve authored and released the book Confessions, Finding Hope Through One Pastor's Doubt. He's my guest on Bleeding Daylight today. Steve Hinton, thank you for your time. Rodney, thank you for having me. I I love the the title of your podcast. Uh, I had to try to search and find that song. I, I like music. I don't know a whole lot of Canadian songs, but um, you know, it reminds me of the the introduction. Even in the book, uh, the the introduction's called "Blood on the Stairway to Heaven." And that, that's what the Christian experience feels like a lot of times. So I'm glad to be here. Thank you very much. I certainly want to explore your book with you, but maybe the best place to start isn't with pastor and author Steve Hinton, but by meeting a regular guy named Steve. Things started coming off the rails for you in your very first year of life. Tell me about family for you back in those early days. My mother and biological father were divorced uh, even before I was a year old, and I did not even meet my biological father t- until I was 25. I was born in 69, so I, so I grew up in the uh, late 60s, early 70s with a number of men coming in and out of my life. And I don't know where I heard it the first time, Rodney, but a lot of times we get our impression of what God is like or who is God is, is like by the father or lack thereof father in our lives. Uh, my mother did remarry the gentleman who adopted me when I was seven, and he was a military a guy uh, who had to deal with his own baggage uh, growing up in a very dysfunctional and abusive family. And the, the beautiful man that God brought into my life, a very stoic guy, very brilliant guy, uh, he's an attorney. Uh, probably smarter than you and I put together, but he's not a guy who does a lot of encouragement. So I had uh, some dysfunction with the whole father scene uh, coming into my life, but but I really sensed God calling me into ministry at an early age. But that brought with it a, a lot of questions as to who God is beyond the theology, but down to the practical level. And then that that just rolled into the questions that a lot of young men ask of who am I and, and do I have purpose and, and how do I be what God's created me to be in the first place? And there is that whole topic of what it is to be a man. And I know in your book, you explore the fact that 
when it comes to even days like Father's Day and, and what does father mean for you, there's a whole range of different men and types of men that come to mind for you. There is. Uh, I think, again, about my uncle, who's a very a stoic, a brilliant man. Uh, then I think of other men. Uh, there's a great ministry in America called Marked Men for Christ. Uh, they've not found their way to Australia yet, but uh, they're in Europe and Africa. The founder of that ministry is a guy who played football, uh, not and, and that's American football. That's not Australian rugby or anything like that. But he's a very strong, very uh, alpha male type guy. So I've got these various role models in my life. And one of the errors that I made, and, and I think a lot of young men made, is trying to emulate and become these different men. When in all actuality, those are great men, but not necessarily the man that God wants me to be. So trying to navigate and say, okay, God, who am I and what is it that you want me to be? And how do I bless the world through my uh, unique niche that God's created me for? And you do speak about brokenness quite a lot in your book. You recognize that your own brokenness began quite early. Tell us a little about that. Well, the aspect of the book, you, you touched on it, and I, I love the way you did it early on in the introduction that a lot of people may say, okay, here's Steve. Uh, he's got the education. He's got the experience. He's got it all figured out. And and sometimes people don't want to approach me on that. And, and part of the, the idea of the book was being able to say, hey, here I am. I've walked through this dark tunnel and come out the end, experiencing a lot of the brokenness that humanity feels. And therefore, there is hope. I've experienced it and you can experience the hope as well. So, the, you know, the broken from my own story, and we've touched on this, you know, not knowing that I have value. Uh, one of the funny stories in the book is that um, I, I'm probably <laughs> in that ADHD category. Uh, think very, very fast, and, and and but not always able to calm down and, and control things. Probably have a, a form of dyslexia as well. All that to say is I really didn't fit in well in the public s school setting. In, in early ages. So there was a brokenness of feeling like I'm stupid. Uh, there's a brokenness of feeling I'm not worthy, brokenness of feeling uh, I don't measure up, I'm not loved. And being able to find hope in redemption in Christ, Rodney, what, what, I, what I did is trying to take that story, not so much to say this is the life of Steve Hinton, but able to say this is a narrative to address the questions, in particular questions of young men, but but all of people, whether they know Jesus or do not, to say there is an answer uh, because I've, I've done it. So throughout the book, there are topics such as our identity. We're, we're created in the image of God, but then brokenness. What do we do about brokenness? If God's good, then by golly, where is he? Well, the, the brokenness comes down to the fact, ultimately, that all of us are broken because of what the Bible refers to as sin, but then moving through a redemption, and then also how this touches uh, all these other ripple effects pieces of our lives, how, how this touches sexuality, how this touches doubt, how this touches politics, how this touches vision and just doing life in general. And sometimes we have to acknowledge the brokenness 
and then take the brokenness to Christ and then let him help us understand it and then see the, the, the answer for it. You mentioned a number of those topics that you do explore throughout the book. There is that whole topic of sex and sexuality. There's also politics. And as soon as you start to talk about some of these things, there's a division. And you speak very strongly towards that. Let's take politics. I mean, this is a year when politics seems to be on everyone's mind. And you say it's not our place as people of faith to be pushing one side or the other. Tell me a bit more about that. I think maybe Rodney balance would 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 be the key, and it's interesting that there are extremes. I have friends who who are Christ followers, and they are always in politics. Then I have friends who are Christ followers, and their idea is that we are to one hundred percent step away. And I believe that balance is is the key, and especially. Rodney, in a place like Australia or the UK or Canada or the US, where we are allowed to come into the public sector and to give our beliefs, our views, and things of that nature. The problem being is when we start focusing on the politic instead of the promises that we have in Christ. Um, One illustration might be in our present context that there are people who know Jesus, but they have allowed themselves to be so divided within themselves and within communities that we're missing the main thing. And uh, one of the points that I'm making, the observation that that if we are going to choose to speak on governance or politics, we have to make sure that we're looking at all the issues and not just pigeonholing our own specific issue. And the truth of the matter is, sometimes God calls us to speak to different things. You know, I'm reminded of United Kingdom, William Wilberforce, who is a man who was heavily devoted uh, to Christ. And over years of very common tenacity, he led to the abolition of slaves in the uh, the British Empire. But again, the, the, the problem today is that we have become so divisive because we've elevated politics uh, above the platform of, of Christ. And again, another one of those, I guess, touchy subjects that you talk about is the idea of racism. And we've seen a, a lot of activism right around the world over this last 12 months. And you make a very interesting point. When you're talking about racism, you, you're more or less saying that it's less about law reform and more about heart reform. I agree. You know, I want to preface that by saying that we are to have law reform. And there have been, uh, and and we see this in in America. Uh, You know, we can see this if we go back to the very beginning of the formation of Australia, that there were a lot of, of really negative Laws and and I wrote this in 2018, and at the point in time, there were a lot of national football players who were taking a knee during the national anthem, and and that was just a little caveat of what was going on in America. And the more I picked at that, the more it it just becomes clear that irregardless, irregardless of what kind of laws have been abolished, what kind of legal equality is in place. The, the broken heart of humanity can still have a racist attitude. And, and I extrapolated that and I looked around, you know, the history of the world, um, you know, going back to uh, the British Empire, uh, the English 
you know, always hated the Irish. Uh, going over to uh, Russia, where Debbie and I, my wife and I lived for two years, the ethnic uh, Russians uh, hated the Crimean Tatars, for example. And, and even going back, you know, hundreds of years ago to the Native Americans, you had uh, tribes of uh, Native Americans, such as the Comanches, who were uh, the, some of the bloodiest people on the globe who totally hated uh, everybody else. And the, the, the point being, if we really, really care about racism, we have to get to the heart. And it's a broken heart that only finds redemption in Christ. And it, it's interesting. The one thing that really brings an answer that very, very few people want to look at is that the answer is in Jesus Christ, because the, the scriptures teach and Jesus taught that we find unity in him. We, we all approach no matter what the color of our skin, no matter what the, the size of our pocketbook, our wallet, our, our, our education or anything, we all find unity at the foot of, uh, of the cross of Christ. Uh, none of us earn our salvation. None of us merit anything with God. We find unity coming humbly before him. And I love this passage, Rodney. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to, to the day that you and I are going to meet in heaven in Revelation chapter seven, where the apostle John talked about at the foot of the throne, uh, people from every nation, tribe and tongue were gathered together, uh, worshiping God. So the answer, if we're really serious, if we are really serious, uh, before we even talk about law, law, which is important, we have to talk about the brokenness in the human heart, and the true answer for that is redemption in Christ Jesus. So you're certainly not dismissing the actions of those who would stand up for minority groups, but you're saying that the answer is not necessarily or totally in the law. There's something bigger at play here. Exactly. Uh, you know, I, one of the things I love about our church here in Houston, that we have people from many dif different minority groups, many different uh, economic backgrounds finding uh, reconciliation and finding unity at, at, at the cross. All that to say is that Christianity is actually practical. It's not just a head thing that you look at even the history of the world, even at the history of the world, um, you look at Europe in, in the Middle Ages. Uh, slavery was going on throughout the world, uh, but it wasn't going on in Europe because of the, the predominance of, of the church. And, and, and I'm not disparaging people. And again, it comes back to something I, I, I noted earlier that we're all created in the image of God. We all have value and we all have different callings in our lives. And there are some, some people who are, who are called to uh, head on address social issues. Some people are called to be mechanics. Some people are called to be uh, brain surgeons, libraries, teachers, or even a pastor, and, and supporting each other in, in their mission to do that, I think the problem comes when we say, you are not valuable unless you are jumping on my social agenda. And I think that in and of itself, that, that kind of attitude brings more division than it does unity. You've touched there on something that does come out very strongly in the book and you talk about is the fact that we are wired differently, that we are built for different jobs, we're built to do different things. Do you think that sometimes when we're looking for our own identity, and you talk about this idea of doubt, and when we're trying to find ourselves in this, 
a lot of the problem comes from us, as you mentioned earlier, with, with you trying to follow various men, that we're trying to be something that we're not wired to be. Yes. Ultimately, we have to see that the reason why we are created with these abilities and talents is not for us. The, the, you know, that, that's a downside to the discussion. You know, it's all about me. I've got this gift. I've got this ability. It's all about me. Well, actually, it's not. It's so that we might serve people. And the first chapter in the book is actually titled, When Only God Sees the Good in ADHD. And, you know, there's some funny stories in that coming back from my brokenness in in high school. And it took me a long time, even into my adulthood, to see that some of those issues that I had in childhood, because teachers didn't understand me, people didn't understand me, that that's actually part of the divine wiring in who I am that I'm able to go to a lot of issues in the world with <laughs> with more energy than a lot of people. I'm, I'm constantly coming up with ideas, but I'm not really a mathematician. Actually, I tell a joke in the book about one of my best friends who is an, an accountant. And we drive each other nuts because, you know, I, I can't sit still and, you know, he can't keep up. But all that to say is, and, and, and again, we look at the body of Christ, the hope of the church, that in the church, we Paul likens it to a physical body. In a physical body, we have the hands and the feet that work together for the purpose in the, the body of Christ. And, and for those people who don't know Jesus and don't know what the church is, well, this is what the church is. It, it, it's the people of God with their different talents. And, you know, Rodney, I'm amazed. I, you know, it's fun to hear your story and what you're doing. Uh, I'm amazed at, at people that are uh, doctors and physicians. Um, you know, I've over my years, I've been in the hospital or hospitals a lot and, and looking at nurses and doctors and the, the way their minds work and their ability and, and working at artists and even working, looking at, at athletes. It's just a beautiful thing to see all these different gifts and abilities and talents. And going back to part of your question, that's why we really need to pursue Jesus because the best father, the, the best mentor can kind of point us in the right direction. But to find out who we are, we have to start at the basic understanding that I am created in the image of God. Therefore, I have value. Well, then also I have purpose. Then I want to live out that purpose and value to glorify God and to bless others. And uh, even later on in the book, there's a chapter called Who Said That? And I had to walk through, and and this, this would actually be in the past five years, but I had to walk through a season in my life uh, deciding, am I going to listen to the, the the commentary of the world or ultimately the commentary of Satan, or am I going to listen to what the, the voice of God says about who I am and what I'm doing? So trying to find that place, Rodney, where I'm living with hope and with peace, knowing that I'm created in the image of God and I'm here to bless other people with the, with the way that God wired me up. You've already mentioned you grew up in the 70s, and it seems that you were a kid with ADHD, so no one understood you. But of course, (laughs) there wasn't really that diagnosis back in those days, and it wasn't until your son was diagnosed with ADHD that you realized that that's probably where you sat as well. Now, you can guide your son because you have that diagnosis. You can get the help that's required. How different do you think your life would have looked if there had been a diagnosis back in your day that people could have come alongside you and said, ah, now we understand. Let's walk this journey with you. 
Oh, I, I think um, there would have been a huge difference. Uh, you know, one funny story in, in first grade, uh, the the lesson of the day was to cut out train cars from paper and color them and number them and having them going up the hill. You know, I didn't want to do that. I wanted my train cars to go <laughs> go down the hill. So that's what I did. And the teacher's response was, uh, that's a failing grade because I didn't follow directions. Instead of realizing, okay, here's a creative guy. Okay, yeah, he's coloring outside of the lines, but it's on purpose and then edifying that. So with a lot of stories taking place, even in the first grade, the mental framework that I began to grow with was, I'm a failure. I can't get it. I'm stupid. And then that's a roadblock that really tripped me up a lot in life. And it, it, it's just been the grace of Jesus and, and looking for the affirmation that he puts in my life to realize, no, this is who I am. And then presently, even in our conversation today, Rodney, being able to to look out to people who have walked similar roads and say, you know what? Yes, there's brokenness, but but look toward Christ because there because there is hope in Christ. It, it's funny. My wife teaches first grade, and she's a brilliant woman. And I tell her a lot. You know, Deb, I guarantee that my educational public school educational experience would have been different if I had had you as a first grade teacher. And and, and I also joke with her that if I were teaching first grade, uh, I, I would make the boys in my class get outside and run laps around the playground before they sit down to study because uh, boys tend to approach education differently than, than girls do in a, in, in a public school system. I want to talk a little about your calling to ministry because you do say that it came quite early. Maybe you can give us an understanding of how that came about for you. What was it that made you say, aha, I feel that there's a calling on my life. And I think that's important because over the past 10 years, there have been many times that I've thought about throwing in the towel. And that may be a subject of another book in the future, but uh, I grew up in a, a, a home with a general Christian worldview. Uh, my mother took me to a Lutheran church on somewhat of a, a regular basis, but it wasn't until I was about... Uh, 11 or 12, and I was going to a, a really big Southern Baptist church with my aunt and uncle in Amarillo, Texas. And shortly after giving my heart to Christ, I, I was sitting in, in a big church service, and I, I don't remember the dominant thought of the sermon. Uh, I don't remember the main text of the sermon, but I remember one point in the sermon where the, the preacher was talking about hell and the fact that it is real and the fact that we have hope. And I just had this overwhelming sense that I was going to be doing that someday. I, I was going to be preaching someday. And a follow-up illustration would be my first semester in Bible college. I wrestled a lot in Bible college first semester as to whether or not I needed to be there. And with about two weeks in the semester left, I had gotten back to my dorm uh, early evening from my job. Uh, I was I was cleaning up because I worked in a cabinet shop and I was going to go down to the cafeteria. There was nobody, uh, Rodney, on my floor. And I, I walked into my dorm room after cleaning up, showering, and I just had this overwhelming sense where Jesus was saying, Steve, you are exactly where you need to be. 
there was a sense that this is what God was calling me to do, just like there are illustrations of people who maybe uh, had an overwhelming confirmation, a sense of, wow, I need to help heal the human body. I'm going to go into medicine. But I think part of the, the frustration there, and I do have a chapter on this as well, that we, we hear the term pastor, and especially in the English language, that means so much. So it, it took me to realize even in that niche that I'm called primarily to get the message of Christ out. Therefore, there are some things that are equated with being a pastor that I'm not necessarily going to do as much. I'm not going to be the one who has the the counseling answer you know, for everybody's question. They can actually be served better by me helping them get connected with someone who is more gifted in that area. Even in that chapter, Rodney, there's a little bit of bearing my soul. Wow, this <laughs> this thing called ministry really stinks. And a lot of people don't get that outside of the church. So it's kind of a twofold thing. One, to help them realize, okay, we need to think about who these pastors are and what they're doing. And then number two, again, to convey this idea to, to everyone, uh, even those who are not yet Christians yet, that I really have to focus on, this is what God says about me and what he's called me to, opposed to this is what everybody else says, because the peace and the hope will come when I'm running and walking and driving more in the lane that God's marked out, opposed to what humanity is, is calling me to do. I have a sneaking suspicion that although you've released this book, and you talk about these doubts that have visited you not only before you entered into ministry, but during your ministry, that there have been these doubts and these times where you've thought, I just need to throw in the towel. I have this sneaking suspicion that you're not the only one in ministry, and yet so often the face we see of ministry are people that are absolutely confident that never have doubts. Do you think that this sometimes does damage for people that are sitting in the pew thinking, they've got it together, I could never be that confident? That, Rodney, is actually one of the ripple effects of the book. The The original idea of the book was to encourage anyone who is wrestling with this idea of a good God. What I found, and this is interesting, a number of pastors who have read the book and at the end of the day, they've said, wow, I get it, Steve. <laughs> you know, the, the, they have actually walked the same path. So on one hand, Maybe this would be a call for people to begin praying for their pastors. I'm assuming there's a similar feel in Australia. I have some friends in the UK who are saying this, but there are numerous pastors in America who are just on the edge of, of cashing it all in. Uh, because there's, you know, there's there's no way you can win. There are some people who are saying, you know, we need to be doing this. Our church needs to be doing this, and some people are saying the exact opposite. So pastors are trying to to follow God, and 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 most people just don't realize the spiritual warfare that that's going on. So maybe one blessing of this would be an encouragement for people to be praying for and supporting for their pastors. And is it a great encouragement too for perhaps pastors to to find that courage, that boldness, that honesty to have some of these discussions, maybe with some some colleagues, maybe with pastors from other churches to say, as they've said to you, yeah, I, I get this. I go through my own times of doubt 
and to encourage one another to places that you've gone to of saying, but I still know that this is the truth? I believe so. One of the beautiful ministries I'm involved in right now is called Covenant Connections. And it's the idea of deliberately putting pastors together beyond the the facade of showing up and drinking coffee uh, with each other because we need each other. One of my sons uh, just finished a contract with the Marine Corps, U.S. Marine Corps, and 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 I am mesmerized at the camaraderie of of those folks in in the Marine Corps. They get it. They they know each other, and that you don't always see that in the ministry, especially with with, with churches that are uh, more autonomous than those who are in a tight denomination, where there are a lot of times uh, you feel like you're out in the trench alone. You, you feel you feel like you're you're battling the war alone. And then being honest, one of the doubts that I had to deal with, and I and I know other guys have had to do this, Rodney, is that you look around at social media, you look at the landscape, and you come across pastors, and it seems like everything they do uh, turns to gold. Every ministry initiative they, they begin has fruit. Uh, their churches are growing. Everything works out. And then you have pastors who do the exact same thing, and it doesn't work out. And one of the things that I pointed out, and I realized that if you look at the book of Acts in the New Testament, you have the Apostle Paul. And you have two different scenarios. In Acts chapter 17, he's in the city of Athens. And at the end of the chapter, it tells us that only a few responded to the message. A couple chapters later in Acts chapter 19, he's in Ephesus, and there's this massive awakening, massive revival. Well, the Apostle Paul is the Apostle Paul in both chapters. In one situation, uh, God brought a big fruit. In, in the other one, God did not. We can have a tendency to feel like we're a failure if we're living in Athens. And, and on that point, we have to come back and look at the eternal picture that there are things going on in the eternal kingdom of God that we can't see. People that we may be affecting that will carry the gospel to hundreds of thousands sometime in the future. And, and sometimes we need the camaraderie of other men of God to encourage us, to remind us of what we know is already true. I have heard it said that the worst question to start a conversation with when pastors meet is, <laughs> how is your church going? Because it then becomes a contest rather than saying, how are you going? Is that part of what you're trying to, to bring to bear with that ministry of bringing pastors together to actually dig deeper into how are you going, not how's your church growing? And tell me the numbers you had in pews last Sunday. Yes, you have hit the nail on the head. And, and I hate that, you know, hey, you know, how's your church doing? And the, the question that we're addressing in these covenant groups is not coaching. It's not logistics. If I were to put a phrase on it, it would be soul care. How, how is your soul doing? How are you doing as an individual child of God? And, and I, I actually hate the term Pastor Steve. I, I don't want people to call me Pastor Steve. N number one, they're, they're men first. Number two, they're pastors or preachers or evangelists or whatever. How can we encourage the soul of one another uh, through hu humility, through encouragement, and that's something that's really missing. And again, the illustration of the Corps, the Marine Corps, the idea of we've got each other's back. We have got each other's back. 
And that, that is not always apparent in Christian ministry. So trying to develop that idea even more, hey, we are in a spiritual battle together. Uh, what can I do to have my brothers back? I'm interested in taking a slight tangent and asking you about the time that you spend as a missionary in Russia. That fascinates me. Can you tell me what your task was there for the couple of years that you were there? Yes, the the immediate response to your question as a task, uh, basically, I, Rodney, I was the grunt. <laughs> my my wife and I both have a heart for lost people around the world, and, and that was another beautiful uh, piece of being connected with you. I just God created a beautiful world, and I believe in a beautiful world. And going back to the to the history, Debbie and I met each other in Bible college in eighty nine, a fall of eighty nine. And you're looking at the the history of the the collapse of the Berlin Wall and then the collapse of the, the Soviet Union. And my wife and I had made a decision that we were going to give at least two years to foreign mission work after graduation. In the summer of 92, my wife and I went over to Moscow, Russia with about a dozen college students, and we were working with a gentleman, a brilliant man by the name of Max Goins, and his story is that he concluded a 20-year ministry by going over to Russia to do a crusade after the doors had opened up, and lots of people came to Christ, and as he was leaving, he felt like uh, I am leaving the baby at the door of the hospital to fend for itself. So he resigned a 20-year ministry to go over there and begin a Bible college with the intent of, of training up young people to carry the work on. And it's a beautiful thing because that Bible college is still there and it is fully under the direction of Russian leadership. And that's what we want. The two years that Debbie and I were there, that's what I did. I, I, I taught a couple of classes, but I was basically there to help out. We made our two-year commitment. There are a number of reasons why we, we came back. One of it was political. Uh, we were having to leave the country every three months for new visas, and we had a one-year-old at the time with us, and it was getting complicated. Russian is a very difficult language, and I was I was becoming proficient enough to do life, but not quite proficient enough to, to teach on it. So looking at all the other pieces, uh, we felt that we would come back to the States. Uh, we, we still have friends there, but it was a, a beautiful experience to, to be with people of God. Again, it's that, that Revelation 7, people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, just seeing what God was doing in the hearts and minds of people in the former Soviet Union. Coming back to the book, the idea of confessing your doubts is is all through that book, and really shoring up your faith and looking back at those points where you know that God has spoken and reminding yourself of those as you continue to have those doubts and yet have a way to answer them. I know that the first response to say to people who are currently doubting is to read the book. It's an easy read, but for someone who's listening at the moment and they are going through that deep doubt, in maybe a, a few words, how would you encourage them to face those doubts? Well, number one, Rodney, I, I would I would acknowledge it. I would not come across from the standpoint of okay, you need to stop doubting. You know, stop that doubting. You got to have faith. I think the illustration would would be when people deal with grief. There are stages of grief, and in, in, in one stage is denial, and in, in one stage is anger. So to look at doubt, you know, Jesus told Thomas, "Stop doubting and believe." But but Jesus had spent 
um, three years with Thomas. So the first part would be to say, okay, this is an issue. Therefore, we can understand it and then we can unpack it. And then maybe trying to really clarify what we're talking about. You know, what are the terms? What are the issues? What are the roots? Uh, One of the points that I said earlier is that uh, sometimes we get our impression about God by looking at how we were raised. You know, a problem with me, Rodney, is is this doubt. Does God really love me? Uh, I, I know he loves me in the sense that he loves the world. I'm just not sure he likes me. Well, part of that route for Steve Hinton is looking at growing up with not a father figure really liking me, really building into my life. So understanding what is the root, where are these doubts coming from, instead of just trying to shoot a shotgun blast at everything, but trying to sniper to what the roots are. And then thirdly, just a constant diet of the promises of God. We, we want to reprogram our thinking and, and the more promises of God that we're putting into our heart opposed to the messages of the world. It's an ongoing systematic change. And then in addition to that, just getting connected with the right people. That's why church is so important. We have to, it, it, it's imperative that we get connected to a community of God's people because we need to build them, but we need them to build us as well. You know, you mentioned it, but but that was the purpose of the book, to acknowledge, okay, people have doubts out there. Here is my journey, not to tell you about Steve Hinton, but not so much it's a memoir, but it is a narrative to say you can get through the doubt because I've worked through the doubt as well. And, and I just want you to know that there is hope and there is a light at the end of the tunnel just keep pressing on. You've touched on some of the feedback that you've got from people reading the book. Can you maybe tell us a little bit more of some of the stories that have come back to you since the book has been released? Two things come to mind immediately. One, you know, a couple is just kind of a funny thing. It um, and, and I mentioned pastors in the introduction. I, I'm setting the stage, and I, and I told the story about a time that I was in a, a tire shop getting tires for my wife's van. And I just had this overwhelming sense of, man, I, I would like to do that all day long. It's all I want to do. I just want to change tires all day long. And I've had a number of preachers who have read the book. And you know, one guy said, yeah, I, I had the same experience, but for me, it was a fry cook. I just wanted to work at McDonald's and flip burgers all day long. A, a more serious commentary, I, I was actually with a group of ladies and you know a book club and they had read the book and they asked me to come and and one of the the ladies was just just talking about the renewed hope she had in her heart after reading the book and maybe considering th- the the things she had done in her life uh, the the brokenness the sin but realizing that despite all that, God really, really does love her. And she teared up a little bit at that. And I thought, okay, okay, <laughs> if we don't get much further in the book, that's a beautiful thing right there. Well, the book is, as I say, a great read and quite an easy read. It's got some some challenging passages that you can spend time thinking through, but the, the language that's used is easily accessible. It is a great book. It's called Confessions, Finding Hope Through One Pastor's Doubt. 
I am going to put details of where to find your website, where to find the book in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net. But if someone's listening now and wants to just head off and, and find a connection with you, where's the best place to go? My blog is uh, entitled Kingdomology. The point of that is that kingdom is actually a premier uh, topic in the ministry of Jesus Christ. He talks a lot about the kingdom of heaven. He talks a lot about the kingdom of God. Therefore, we want to live in this kingdom. It's not Jesus Christ hasn't come back yet. It's not fulfilled, but there is this present kingdom. So my blog is called Kingdomology. Uh, There is a Steve Hinton author website. The, The book itself can be found on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. I do have a Steve Hinton author Facebook page, uh, a Twitter uh, account as well. So there, there are um, outlets to get the book. And then again, um, my, my blog would be one of the easiest places to pick me up. Steve, you did mention that you're looking to perhaps write another book at some time. And I like that idea because that means that we'll have another opportunity to catch up and chat again. But it's been an absolute delight to talk to you today. Thank you so much for your time on Bleeding Daylight. Ronnie, thank you very much and be encouraged because I I really like what you're doing there uh, down under. I'm very thankful and I'm looking forward to see uh, what God's going to do with this conversation. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.